But boy, that was wonderful. And uh, that song makes me cry. Because there's been times I didn't know what to do. I didn't know what to say. And I didn't know where to turn. But standing somewhere in the shadows, you'll find Jesus. And he's right all the time. He's an on-time God. Yes, he is. And I've been blessed tonight already. And I want you to turn with me to the book of Esther, chapter number 4. Esther, chapter number 4. That's the place in your new Bible where your pages are still stuck together. Esther, chapter number 4. Uh, Brother Han, thank you so much for the warm invitation to come. And uh, I really appreciate it, my brother. When you get to go preach for someone it is a thrill, is it an honor. We didn't get to come last year because of a, co- a corona, a thing called corona. And so we booked it back. And thank you for letting me come. And can I say this to the church? And I, I mean it to your compliment and his. I had 87 cancellations last year. 87. Julie and I have been, my, my wife Julie, of course, I, you know, if we've been married, it's my wife, praise God. We've been married 37 years, and for 34 of that, I've been gone 48 weeks a year. That's how you stay married a long time. Don't ever go home. <laughs> and so we've never been together that much, not nine weeks straight. And about eight weeks into that shutdown, she looked at me and said, don't you got somewhere to be? And I said, your problem is you're having to cook again. That didn't go off good. Then I said, by the way, your hamburger helper tastes the same. That was really bad right there. But your pastor and another brother in North Carolina uh, were the only ones that sent an offering. And I appreciate that. Julia appreciates that. And uh, God is just so good to supply all of our needs. You're wondering how he's going to meet this need, and all of a sudden you get a check in the mail. I love you for that, brother. And I thank the Lord for that. And when all of that started, I remember I was in Chattanooga, Tennessee. I I hate Chattanooga to this day. I was in Chattanooga, Tennessee, when everything began to shut down that Friday. And man, I got to thinking on the way home, How am I going to keep a church going with the doors closed? Now, to me, that's a legitimate question. How are you going to keep a church going with the doors closed? And the Lord said to me, Joe, if you're the one that's been keeping it going, it should have been out of business a long time ago. He said, that's my church, and you're my preacher, and I got your family and your ministry in mind. I got it. Son, everything's going to be all right. And you know what? Everything's all right in my Father's house. In my Father's house. In my Father's house. Oh, everything's all right in my Father's house. Where there's joy, joy, joy. Amen. And the Lord is good. Praise God. I feel like James Brown. I feel good. Amen. (laughs) Yeah, the Lord is good. And I thank you so much. I appreciate you. And I'm proud of you, Pastor. There's a lot of men tonight, 40 years old. They don't have their head on them anywhere. They don't believe in God. If they do, they're off out yonder in left field somewhere. And I appreciate you, son. I mean that. We need more young men like this. All over the country, pastoring churches, leading people. And I'll tell you, God is good. Turn to somebody beside of you and say, you look better with your mask on. Amen. (laughs) Did he do that to you? You know better, don't you? Amen. The book of Esther tonight, chapter number four. And I'll read just one verse, but keep your Bible open. Esther chapter 4 and verse number 14. For thou altogether holdest thy peace at this time, then shall their enlargement and deliverance arise to the Jews from another place. 
but thou and thy father's house shall be destroyed. Here's our text tonight. And who knoweth whether thou art come to the kingdom. And say this phrase out loud with me. For such a time as this. Say that with me again. For such a time as this. And I believe we'd all would agree that we have never seen a time like this. Every year I'll come up with a theme for our ministry there at church. And, and so, man, January of last year, I came up with this cool theme, 2020 Vision. Man, we had signs all over the road, all over billboards in town, all, all over the property, all in the foyer. I mean, 2020. And I said, praise the Lord, church, we'll see things this year we've never seen before. I was talking about church growth. I was talking about mission doors open. I was talking about souls being saved. And I'll have to admit, we saw some things we had never seen before. The church has never been particularly in the place that it's in tonight. And I may cry a little bit here. Our nation has never been in a place where it is at tonight. We are living in a day for such a time as this. I, I am amazed that someone can live such a life and make such a contribution that it outlasts the years of their sojourn. I mean by that they are dead and in their grave. But the work they did for God and the commitment they made for God lives on and on and on. They made such a contribution, it has outlasted the years of their sojourn. There's a verse in the book of the Revelation that speaks volumes to me. It says, blessed are the dead that die in the Lord. Number one, they shall rest from their labor but their works do follow them. The cemeteries tonight are filled with the bodies of men and women and boys and girls that live for God. And they made such a contribution. It's outlasted the years of their sojourn. Can you imagine being a member of Elijah Hoffman's church and on a Wednesday night prayer meeting your pastor comes in and says, well, I wrote some words down to a new song God gave me today, and I hope it'll be a blessing to you. And your pastor begins to sing, what a fellowship, what a joy divine, leaning on the everlasting arms. I wonder if he thought 127 years after the date of his death, that Christians all over the world would draw strength from singing that song leaning on the everlasting arms. Can you imagine being in a little cottage prayer meeting on a snowy Wednesday evening in the windy city of Chicago? And a little blind lady gets up and says, well, I got some words and we're going to put it to music after a while and I, I think it'll be a blessing to you. And Fanny Crosby begins to quote, Blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. Whoever thought 150 plus years after her funeral that God's people all over the world would gather in a multiplicity languages and sing to the Lord, Blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. It is possible tonight to live a life and make a commitment for God that will outlast the years of your sojourn. Well, we come to this text tonight, and we see a little girl by the name of Esther, a little orphan girl by the name of Esther, a little girl whose life is uprooted, and it looks like the odds are stacked against her. But she rises above her circumstances, she gets over the hurt of her past and she lives a life 
and makes such a contribution, it has outlasted the years of her sojourn. In fact, here we sit tonight in Columbus, Georgia, still reaping the benefit of her commitment. You say, what do you mean by that? Well, let's vote on this. If you're saved tonight, raise your right hand. If you know it, raise your left hand. If you're glad about it, raise both of them and wave them at the same time. You know why we can sit here tonight in Columbus, Georgia, and raise our hand in affirmation that our sins have been forgiven. Our past has been erased. The Lord Jesus Christ lives in our heart because one day we met that Christ as our Lord and our Savior. And the reason why we were able to do that was there was a little nation called Israel, the apple of the eye of God that God was going to bless like no other nation. God had already blessed them by giving them the land. God had already blessed them by giving them the law. And now God is going to bless them by giving them the Lord. God is going to use this little nation physically to bring the Redeemer, the Savior, the Emancipator, the Liberator into this world. And there is a man in the background in this book. And he has a terrible, diabolical, evil plan. And if this plan comes to fulfillment, this little nation will be wiped off of the face of the earth. And the Messiah would not come into this world. I mean, what the devil has in mind for Israel in the book of, of Esther is worse than Egyptian bondage. It is worse than Assyrian or Babylonian captivity. What Satan has in mind for that little nation in this book is total annihilation. If this plan comes to fulfillment, that little nation, Israel, will be literally destroyed and wiped off of the face of the earth. Oh, but the devil has got a problem. He runs into this little girl, this little orphan girl that has a terrible past. The odds are stacked against her, but yet she rises above her past. She rises above her odds, and she steps up to the plate and makes a commitment and the scene is turned around. And Israel is not placed in captivity. They are not placed in bondage. They are not wiped off of the face of the earth. That little nation survives and survives and survives. Till one day physically God's son Jesus came into this world and he went to the cross and he died and he rose again and I'm glad in 1979 I met him as my Lord and my Savior. Thank God for this little girl by the name of Esther. You say, well, Brother Joe, what has that got to do with us in 2021? You got questions? I got answers. Did you know the devil has some evil plans for this world? The devil has some evil plans for our nation called the United States of America. And by the way tonight, it's not the flag that the devil wants. It's not the statues that the devil wants. It's not your and my gun that the government or, or the devil wants. It, you know what he wants? He wants our faith. He wants our allegiance because there's not another nation tonight in the world that's sending more people and spending more money to proclamate the gospel to the north and the south and the east and the west than this little nation called the United States of America. And what the devil has in store for our nation is not good. It is not healthy. It is not wholesome. But you know what I hope happens tonight? I hope what happens to the devil back then happens to him tonight. He bumps into a group of people that will not bow. They will not bend. And they will step up to the plate and fulfill their divine destiny.
and make a commitment to turn the tide and be used of God and instead of America's ruin, we'll have America's revival. Instead of lost souls dying without Christ and going to a devil's hell, they'll come to Christ, believe the gospel, be saved and populate the city of the living God. I'm telling you tonight, if one little orphan girl who seems to have the odds against her can get over her past, overcome her odds, and defeat her enemy, and make a commitment, and make a decision to make a difference in somebody's life, there's somebody in this room tonight that can make the choice, and make the decision, and make the commitment to live for God, and be a difference maker in somebody's heart, and in somebody's life. Man, I got a hold of this the other day, operating a motor vehicle, and I almost got pulled over, but he got the guy in front of me that was before ordained from the foundation of the world. Man, this hit me. This is the darkest days Israel has ever faced. This is worse than Egyptian bondage. This is worse than Assyrian or Babylonian captivity. This is total annihilation. This is the darkest day they had ever faced. But God in the darkest time of their life gives them what they need the most. A little orphan girl who gets over her past and overcomes her odds by the name of Esther. Just the meaning of her name ought to make a Methodist get sprinkled again. You know what her name means? It means a bright light and a shining star. A bright light and a shining star. You know that's just like God. You say, what do you mean, Brother Joe? That's just like God. To give us what we need the most when we need it the most. Here they are in the darkest hour they've ever faced and coming out on the stage of time in the midst of their darkness is a bright light and a shining star. Someone said, Brother Joe, aren't you reading the news? Aren't you keeping up with the events of the day? Don't you know that America is in a dark place? It's dark politically, morally, spiritually, economically. Yes, I know the darkness is permeating every area of our society, but what a wonderful time to be a Christian because the darker the night, the brighter the light. Man, I enjoyed that so much. Can I say that again? The darker the night, the brighter the light. I was talking to an elderly man of God a couple of years back, and I said, man, I said, I feel so out of place in this world. I feel like a square peg in a round hole. I just don't fit. I like old songs. I like old preaching. I like old people. The reason why I am one of them, amen. And I said to this preacher, I said, you know, I believe my ministry would have been more effective 50 years ago. And I thought that sounded spiritual. I believe I'd have been more effective 50 years ago. And that old man of God looked at me and said, well, I don't guess you believe God knows what he's doing. I said, I didn't say that. He said, yes, you did. I said, no, I didn't. He said, yes, you did. He argued me about like that girl did me last night. I said, I did not say. He said, yes, you did. He said, son, let me tell you something. God is sovereign enough that if he wanted you on the scene 50 years ago, you'd have been on the scene 50 years ago. This is what he said, Brother Sam. He said, son, God had a light 50 years ago. God had a voice 50 years ago. God had a witness 50 years ago. He needs a voice tonight. He needs a light tonight. He needs a witness tonight. 
all of this that we're facing from the political unrest to the pandemic, none of this has caught God by surprise. Here you and are tonight, saved by the grace of God, washed in the blood of Jesus, anointed by the Holy Spirit with a song in our heart and a Bible in our hand for such a time as this. I know it's bleak. I know it's dark. I know the war clouds are hanging low, but you got a light. Shine, baby, shine. You got a light. Shine, baby, shine. Aren't you glad in this dark world God has brought out on the stage of time a bright light and a shining star? By the way, you know what stars do? They beautify the night. In fact, you know what stars do? They declare the glory of God. You know what stars did in that old day before they had radar and sonar and before Al Gore invented the internet? You know what they had in that day? The stars. They would set the compass and the ship with the stars. The stars would guide the vessel through uncharted waters through the night from one shore to the other shore. You know what stars literally do? They shine in the absence of the sun. Man, you walk out the service tonight and you'll look up in the heavens and you know what you'll see? You'll see the stars. Now, you won't see the sun. Now, now don't get disturbed. It, it's not extinct. The sun's still shining, but it's just shining on the other side. And the reason why you can't see it is your world has been turned upside down. But give God 12 hours, he'll ride her right side up, and the sun's going to come up again. But while that sun is shining on the other side, them stars come out, and they shine instead of the sun. And they say something like this, it's dark right now, but don't give up. Hold on, my child, the sun's are coming up in the morning. And you know what them little stars do? When the big star comes up in the morning, they fade from view and give the big sun center stage. You say, what has that got to do with us? I'm about to explode to tell you. You know what we are in this dark world? Bright lights and shining stars. Therefore, we ought to be doing what the stars do. What do they do? We ought to be beautifying the night. You know what we ought to be doing? Declaring the glory of God. You know what we ought to be doing? Guiding men from this shore to the other shore. I wonder if there's anybody in this room tonight, you're glad when you was a sinner, lost without God, headed to a devil's hell, lost and undone without God or his son. A star for God came out in your world and pointed you to Jesus and pointed you to the Lamb of God. Stars shine in the absence of the sun. And we get out here on the stage of time and we tell this world the sun's still shining. He's just shining on the other side but we're shining in his stead and it may be dark right now but don't give up the sun's coming up in the morning and when the big star comes up in the morning all of us little stars will fade from view and give him all of the glory the world is bleak the world is dark but God saved you for this God anointed you for this God called you for this this is our destiny this is our day. This is our moment. This is our time to step out on the stage of time and shine, baby shine. Because we've been brought here tonight to the kingdom for such a time as this. As you look at the life of Esther, a young little virgin girl should never have to live in those kinds of of circumstances. If CNN or NSNBC or even Fox were to do a documentary on her life, they'll say, oh, she's had so much hardship. She's had so much odds against her. Surely her little old life won't ever amount to nothing. But if you never learn anything studying the characters of the Bible, you learn this. God is bigger than your past. God is bigger than your hurts. 
God is bigger than any abuse that you've ever been through. God is bigger than the circumstances. God is bigger than the odds. God is bigger than your thoughts. He's bigger than your failures. He's bigger than your mistakes. You say, but oh, I failed the Lord. Yeah, but he's never failed you. But other people have failed me in my life. That may be true, but God's never failed you. Yeah, but I had a person tell me one time, I'd never amount to anything. I got a verse for that. Let God be true and every man a liar. God's hand has been upon us. God's hand is leading us. We're not here by accident. You were not born by accident. You didn't get saved by accident. God didn't call you by accident. You're not in this service tonight by accident. You're not on planet earth by accident. God's been in your life. God's overruled the affairs of men. God through his grace has brought you to this place. I'm telling you God's trains run on time for such a time as this. And she finds herself through a series of events. Listen to this. The queen of this king who was signed a law that on a certain day at a certain time all the Jews not in bondage not in captivity, not in servitude, but annihilated from the face of the earth. Every day her mom and dad have been killed in an insurrection. She has to go live with the next of kin, her cousin by the name of Mordecai, who himself is a slave and a butler in this wicked, ungodly kingdom they find themselves in. Somehow behind the scenes is working the unseen hand of God, overruling the affairs of men. And every time I read the story of Esther, I'm reminded of the testimony of Joseph, what he said to his brethren when he revealed himself to them, what you meant for evil, God meant for good. I got wrote in on my outline, holler hallelujah right here, hallelujah right here. What the world means for evil, God means for good. While there's people in this room tonight, if the devil had his way, he'd have snuffed out your life and took you to hell a long time ago. But aren't you glad the grace of God and the mercy of God is greater than the devil, greater than the powers of hell, greater than our past, greater than our failure, greater than our sins. Look back in your life, you will see the fingerprints of God all over your life. And she finds herself the queen of this ungodly king. And one day she gets a message by her cousin Mordecai. Esther, do you realize what's about to take place? He assigned a law in his lustful stupor because of peer pressure and to satisfy his political buddies. He assigned a law that on a certain day at a certain time, all the Jews are going to die. Esther, you got to go in there and talk to him. Esther, you got to go in there and be a daysman. Esther, you got to go in there and be a mediator. Esther, you got to go in there and change his mind. You got to go in there and plead our case. And she sends Mordecai this message. Mordecai, that's not politically correct. Do you understand that's not how it's done in this kingdom? Why, even though I'm a queen, if I approach him uninvited, he can say the word and my life will be snuffed out. And Mordecai sends her back a message. Esther, what you don't understand is it's going to be snuffed out anyway. What you don't understand is, baby doll, it's crunch time Esther, what you don't understand, it's not fair weather Christianity time. It's not time to lick your finger and stick it up in the air and see which way the wind's blowing. It's now or never. It's now or never. 
We don't have time to debate. We don't have time to vote on it. We don't have time to bring it up in the committee meeting. Something's got to be done. The days are ticking off the calendar. The moments are ticking off the clock. Esther, it's crunch time. It's decision time. It's now or never. And she sends this message back to Mordecai. She said, okay, I'm going to do it. I know it's politically incorrect. I know it goes against the grain. I know it's not traditional. But if my family's life is on the line and my nation's life is on the line and we would say it like this, if our children's children's lives is on the line, it's worth it. Let's go. I'm going in. And if I perish, I perish. If it kills me. If it's the last thing that I do, if it's the epitaph upon my tomb, I'm going in. I'm not going to worry about political correctness. I'm not going to worry about the winds of convenience. It's crunch time. It's decision time. It's high time. It's now or never. And she arose and erased the boundaries and tore down the fences and removed the lines and dived in for God and said, there's some things worth fighting for. There's some things worth dying for and I'm making that commitment and if I perish I perish oh may I say this tonight it's not time to be disgruntled it's not time to be critical it's not time to be lazy and lethargical we don't have time to debate we don't have time to fuss we don't have time to argue we don't have time to lay down on God it's crunch time for our families it's crunch time for America it's crunch time for our country. Our God is worthy. Our cause is great and the gospel is still true. Let's dive in. Sign up. Tear down the borders. Erase the boundaries and bog in for God and make the commitment to make the difference in somebody's life. Somebody asked me, they said, Preacher, is there any good at all you think? Do you think there's any good at all that will come out of the pandemic or the coronavirus. I said, well, there is a potential of one good thing coming out of it. If it could ever really get a hold to the average church member that we could lose our freedom to go to church and worship God and that a government can say, to all the religious entities, we got to close you down because you are a health risk to America's young people. That's happening tonight in California. They told a friend of mine, go ahead, open your church, let them come in. But the health and the welfare department will be on the inside. And when those young families bring those young children in, we'll take those children from them, we'll put them in foster care, and we'll lock up the parents for endangering the lives of their little children. I'm not talking about Canada. I'm not talking about Mexico. I'm not talking about Russia. I'm not talking about China. I'm talking about the United States of America. Brother, the devil's trying to shut down the church. The devil is trying to ruin the next generation. The devil is trying to stop the gospel. And it's not time to be Sunday morning only and convenient only and Mother's Day and Easter Sunday only. It's not time for convenient Christianity. We got to sign up. We got to make a commitment. We got to dive in. We got to get it's serious. It's crunch time. It's decision time. Our God needs us tonight. Our nation needs us tonight. Our children needs us tonight. The church needs us tonight to step up to the plate for such a time as this. Oh, I believe we need to get our urgency back that for such a time as this, if we've ever gotten serious with God, now is the time. Now is the place. And I believe I can say this as I've traveled the last several months, as our schedule has opened back up. I am seeing a hunger among Christians like I've not seen in a long time. 
I am seeing an urgency like I've not seen in a long time. Man, when I got saved and started preaching in 1979, you could go in the average Baptist church and say, boo, and six people would get saved. You'd get a standing ovation preaching on tithing. Now, you know it was on back then. Boy, that was that excitement in the air. But you know yourself, you know yourself the last 10 to 12 years in America. Boy, that fire has died and that, that fervency has cooled. And a lot of us took too much for granted. We got at ease at Zion. But I'm seeing God wake up the church here and wake up the church there and a young man with a burden here and a young man with a burden there and a young man with a burden here and another young man here and, and almost a young man right here. And boy, I'm seeing an excitement. I, I'm seeing an urgency. I believe we all agree tonight America needs revival. But America will never have revival. Through the church has revival. And I believe you know what I'm talking about tonight. The local church will never have revival. Do you and I as individuals seek for God and thirst for God and pant for God and get out of convenient Christian living, get out of finding out which way the wind's blowing and jump in and dive in, go all the way with God, erase the Orders, erase the boundaries, erase the line, and say, God, if I perish, I perish. It's decision time and commitment time. And if I perish, I perish. You know, I wish they would really do it in our public schools. I really wish they would teach American history like it's really his story. You know what's made this nation the nation it is? Because a bunch of men and women were willing to make a commitment. If it was hard work, they just did the hard work. If it was sacrifice, they were just sacrifice. Not far from here is a fort. Not down here is a fort. And the thousands of young boys and young men whose feet trod through those acres of ground their bodies are in oceans. Their bodies are on foreign fields. Some of them's bodies is blown to small pieces. But there's a nation tonight called America, the land of the free and the home of the brave. Because a bunch of young men said, it's crunch time. It's warfare time. It's time to go all the way and make the commitment. And by the way, the reason why there are churches here and churches over yonder and churches over here and churches over yonder... There's been a generation before us that said, whatever it takes, whatever it takes, if we have to pray all night, we'll pray all night. If we have to walk by faith and not by sight, we'll walk by faith and not by sight. If we have to claw, scratch, crawl, it's worth it. And may I say tonight for my grandbabies to have an on fire church and live in a free country, it's worth it. It's worth it for these little boys and girls sitting here tonight to go to a fired up church and live in a free country. It's worth it tonight. It's worth it tonight. Let's make a decision. Let's make a commitment. Let's dive all in for God and say, Lord Jesus, use me. Lord, don't refuse me. Let me be a difference maker in somebody's life. Oh, notice her decision. Number two, the thing about this that thrills me is her destiny. Now, I want to preface this point with this without running a rabbit. I am not a hyper-Calvinist. I'm hyper, but I'm not a hyper-Calvinist. I'm a first-class, a card-carrying, soul of the Lord subscribing, whosoever will. Yes. He accepts all whoop, and refuses none. Whosoever will. Don't you love that? Have you ever noticed? Oh, let me run a rabbit, just a little one. Have you ever noticed the people that believe in that? Have, have you ever noticed it just so happens that them and their families and their buddies and their best friends and their families just happen to be in the included group? Knowing me and my friends, I'd be left out and they'd be left out. 
But boy, I'm glad the Bible tells me no man's left out. He tasted death for every man. If he died for one, he died for all. I'm glad I'm one of them whosoever will. But I want you to understand, I believe in the sovereignty of God. I believe in the omnipotence of God. I believe in the providence of God. I believe that God knows the end before the beginning ever gets started. Let me say it in pure Georgia. You ready? Has it ever occurred to you that nothing ain't never occurred to God? And somehow God works behind the scenes. It's a bad thing that her mom and daddy are, are dead. It's a bad thing that this little girl has to go live with her next of kin, a cousin who's a slave and a butler in this wicked kingdom. It is a bad thing that this little girl is thrust in an environment where little girls shouldn't be thrust. It is seemingly a bunch of unfortunate, heart-rendering, dream-shattering events. But standing somewhere in the shadows is a God that can overrule the affairs of a wicked king. A God that can overrule the affairs of a wicked kingdom. My daddy was an old-fashioned leather-lunged preacher. My daddy was an old-fashioned, fundamental, independent, I mean, fur-slapping, spark-knocking, I mean, son, fire-breathing Baptist, and I thank God for that. Your, your daddy's a man of God, and your daddy's a man of God, and since you're all brothers, that makes him the same person. I, amen. A man of God. And, 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 and how, many of you, how many of you grew up in a good family? I had a good mom and you had a good daddy, but you, but you listen to me. I got buddies of mine that's preaching. I got buddies of mine that's pastoring hundreds and thousands of people. Their mother was a drunk. And their daddy was a jailbird. And their families were bootleggers. Their family were crooks and thieves and dopers and dope runners and bootleggers and hell raisers and lived ungodly. And they were going in that same direction, continuing that same old cycle of terrible sin and, and the consequences. But one day a star came out into their life and they heard about Jesus. And they heard about, I know I'm not supposed to get emotional, but it's too late. I done got there. And they heard about Jesus. And they heard about the cross. And they heard about the grace of God. Lord, have mercy. They heard that was a better way to live. Amen. And a much better way to die. And they came to Jesus. And they got saved. And God saved them and changed their life and cleaned up the vocabulary. And instead of being in prison, in jail, or in hell, they're in a pulpit tonight, winning people to Jesus Christ, because I'm glad there's a God bigger than Satan, bigger than the devil, bigger than, I got some scriptures for that one, where sin does abound, grace does much more abound, I'm telling you tonight, God is bigger than your past, your odds, your failures, God tonight can overrule the affairs of men. This is her destiny. She was born for this. She survived for this. She's created for this. She's been brought here by the unseen hand of God for this moment in time. Can I just say it like this? God makes no mistakes. I look back at some things God has brought me through. And here's a good Georgia word. And when I was right smack dab in the middle of it, I can't find God. I can't track God. I can't trace God. Oh, but I found out when you can't track God and you can't find God, you can always trust God. And can I tell you tonight, Romans 8, 28 is still in the book. 
that all things work together for good. Whose? Yours and mine. For our good. To who? To them that love God. To them that are called according to his purpose. You realize tonight in your life is the unseen hand of God. Bigger than your past. Bigger than your sin. Bigger than your hang-ups and your foul-ups. Why? Because God has your best interest in mind. And he's got a plan for your life. And that plan is to glorify God in your life. This is why we were created. This is why we were saved. This is why we were called. This is of why we are alive. That's why we're living in this generation right before the rapture. God deemed it this way. God brought us here. We've come this far by faith. This is our day. This is our moment. This is our time. This is our destiny. Let me say this tonight with all sincerity. Thank God for Tom Malone. I got to preach for him in his church just bef- right before he died. That was an honor. But you know what? His seat is empty. His race is run. His voice is silent. He had his day. This one's yours. Oh, I thank God for our forefathers. Sean R. Rice. What a man. Can I, can I remind you, his voice is silent. His seat is empty. He had his day. This one's yours. Boy, the state of Georgia. Man, I, I moved from Virginia when I was 22. I moved out of Old Dominion, whoop, and got into the peach factory. Boy, I've loved living in the state of Georgia. In fact, my theme song is <laughs> Georgia on my mind. No, I'm just kidding. But I, I've loved Georgia. Georgia has produced some mighty giants for God. On the East Coast, there was Cecil Hodges in the 70s and 80s winning thousands of people to Jesus Christ. In the metro Atlanta, there were the Raymond Hancocks and the Charles Wrights and the James Rushings. Oh, my, and the guy, Rainwaters, that was a preacher from Decatur, Georgia. That was literally known all over the world. He preached on 75 radio stations all over the world five days a week. The name of his program was the Truck Driver Special, and his name was Mays Jackson. Preached out of a red Bible and wove a wave hanky and got white stuff in the corners of his mouth. That's who trained me. Amen. Man, I'm thinking all them preachers from Georgia, those great men of God, the great churches, the great congregations, the great revival. I don't believe Georgia realizes our spiritual heritage. And I'm telling you this, brother, socialism, communism, dumbism, or stupidism is not what's made this state the state it's in. We have a religious heritage. We have a spiritual heritage. But can I remind you, that day's come and gone for that generation. Their seat is empty. Their voice is silent. They've had their time. They've had their day. They've had their moment. This one's yours. This one's yours. This one's yours. This one's mine. God needs an on fire church in Columbus. God needs an on fire church. And I have a problem pronouncing this. In Opelika or Opelika or Opa Yonder. God needs one. And he needs one in Atlanta. And he needs one in Murfreesboro. And he needs one in Jonesboro. Those men of God, they've had their time. They've had their spot. Their voice is silent. Their seat is empty. This is our moment. This is our day. This is our time. This is our destiny. God's brought us here. He saved us for this. He created us for this. He called us for this. This is our destiny. Step up to the plate, baby, and shine, baby, shine. Fulfill your divine appointment. My dad and my mom had three girls. Three. Three girls. The twins were nine, and the one after that was about to turn eight. And they were out of the 
having baby business. The factory closed down. No more. 1957, God saved my daddy. 1958, God called my daddy to preach. He was running from that, running from God. And he went to a little, little Baptist mission up on Riverside Drive in Danville, Virginia. And a preacher got up and preached that night. Brother Seth, about that donkey that carried Jesus into town. And how that donkey carried Jesus into that town and Jesus got all the praise and the donkey didn't get any of the praise. And he preached that night on this subject. If a donkey can do it, you can too. If a donkey can lift up Jesus and carry Jesus and Jesus get the praise and the donkey get none of the praise. If a donkey can do it, you can too. He looked right down there at my dad and said, young man, won't you come saddle up? My daddy got called to preach. A couple of years after daddy was preaching, pastoring that little mission work, he said to my mama, we Baptist, we independent Baptist, none of these girls can be ordained. He didn't say they couldn't preach because all women preach. <laughs> and all of God's henpecked husbands said Amen. Some of them's got their husbands to security. Won't even say amen on that point. He said, wouldn't it be wonderful if God would bless us in our old age and give us another babe and make it a man child and God save him and call him to preach. Let me and you be members of his church in our old age Before we go to heaven. Here I is. July the 22nd, 1962. 7 o'clock in the morning. My mama wakes up. My daddy says, it's time, JB. And every man does this. I don't know why. Time for what? Time for the baby. He said, oh, honey, that baby can't be born today. I got to preach today in South Boston, Virginia, 40 miles away for Brother Rudolph Jacobs, who's out of town on vacation. You got to wait. <laughs> she said, you big dummy, that baby's coming. And I don't care if you go preach for Woodrow Wilson. Drop me off at the hospital. I got to have a baby. Okay. So daddy drops her off at the hospital. That wouldn't work in our day. No, not in our day. Now, in our day, you can't even wait in the waiting room like a decent human being. You got to go back there. And boy, if you ever go back there, you know you've been somewhere. Say amen. So he dropped her off. He went down the road about 40 miles and preached that morning and three precious souls got saved. As soon as church was over, he got back to Danville, walked in the hospital, and the doctor made him in the foyer. He said, my soul, boy, where you been? He said, sir, I've been preaching the gospel. He said, you better sign these papers. He said, your wife is dying. I don't even know if I can save her life or not. The baby's here. But we're going to lose your wife without a miracle. Sign these papers, son. We've got to go to surgery now. If you've ever prayed, young man, you better pray and get a hold of God. My daddy said he was so distraught, he forgot to ask about the baby. And back in them days, you didn't have no pre-warning. Whether it's boy or girl, you just had to take whatever you got. <laughs> you remember them days, you just had to take it? I know you still got to take it, but you can't prepare for it. And he said, I forgot to ask about the baby. And I didn't wait till I got to a chapel. He said, I fell on my face in the hallway of the hospital. And said, oh God, I need you. I'm just a young preacher. And I got a baby somewhere in this hospital. I don't even know why it is. But God, I need that wife to help me raise him. Raise it, God. I need you to help me. I need you to help me. Touch my wife. Please, Lord, please spare her life. 
About three hours, they rolled my mama out of the operating room. Daddy was standing there, and she's laying on that gurney. She goes by Dad, and all she does is this. Daddy said, I went, hey, darling. Said, my mama looked up and went, hmm, got us a preacher. He said, what? She said, got us a preacher. He said, I surmised from that that I'd had a male child born. Man, mama got better. We got home from the hospital. I don't remember none of this. I was only two days old. About a week after that, they took me to that little storefront church where daddy was preaching at. He said it rained inside and leaked outside. And said, them men of God came around, laid their hands on me, and asked God to anoint me and save me and bless me, call me to preach and give me a ministry. Now, I didn't know any of that my whole life. I didn't know any of that my whole childhood. They only told me that story after I surrendered my life to be a preacher of the gospel. And I said, why'd you wait to tell me? They said, son, we didn't want that to influence you. We wanted God to call you and the Holy Spirit to anoint you. But my mama grabbed my little cheeks and she said this. She said, but son, if you ever do anything but serve God, he'll kill you and so will I. By the way, my mama called me today about 1 o'clock. She said, hey, baby. Boy, there's some benefits to being the only boy in the family. <laughs> if you're the only boy in the family, milk it, boys. Get everything out of it you can. She said, baby. Now, I know I didn't, but my mama said it. She said, you preached good last night. And she said, I think them people down there enjoyed it. And she said, I'm, I'm going to be watching tonight now. I'm going to be watching. So, hi, mom. I'm preaching here at the Grace Baptist Church in Columbus, Georgia. And this is Pastor Seth Hahn. And he said he was praying today and the Holy Spirit said you were going to send $1,000 to your son and this revival tonight. I love you, Mom. I'm still milking it. I didn't get saved by accident. I didn't answer the call to preach by accident. Boy, just right before my daddy died, he got to be a member of my church. I got to pastor my mom and my dad before my dad went to heaven. You know what? That was a destiny. That was a calling. It was God's plan. It was God's will for my life for such a time as this. I wasn't supposed to be a preacher in the 50s. I wasn't supposed to be a preacher in the 70s. I'm supposed to be a preacher in 2021. It might be out of style. It may not be on the cutting edge. And it may be politically incorrect. But we're running on time. The plan of God. The destiny of God. Let me tell you something, Grace. This is your moment. This is your time. This is your day. No matter how young you are, how old you are, God called you for this. God created you for this. God saved you for this. This is your day. This is your destiny. This is your time. Step up to the plate and shine, baby, shine. I see your decision. I see your destiny. I got to close with this. I see her delight. She puts on her best dress. Chapter number six talks about all them perfumes she put on. One of my friends said one time, said, my wife don't wear makeup nor use perfume. I said, I know. <laughs> and that's all I said. I, I didn't go into any details. I just said, I know. Boy, she's got her best dress on. She's got that sweet-smelling perfume. And he sees her in the shadows, and he says, Come in. Esther walks into that throne room of that king, and he said, What's on your heart? Have I got your permission to speak? Yes. What's on your heart? She tells them the story. She said, you know, that night you were so drunken with your own lust through peer pressure to satisfy your buddies. You signed a law and you sealed it with your ring that on a certain day and a certain time and a certain place, all the Jews are dead. Yes, I remember. She said, I need to tell you something. For seven years, I've been your sweetie, your bride, your queen. Seven years. And I've never told you this. I'm not a Gentile. I'm a Jew. 
When word got out you were looking for a new queen, my cousin Mordecai threw my name in the pot. And you chose me. And for seven years, I've been your queen. And I'm a Jew. And sir, when Haman and the hitchmen come to start killing all the Jews, they're going to kill me. I'll die with them. And you'll have your own queen killed. Because I'm not one of you guys. I'm a Jew. The day you start killing the Jews, you're going to kill me. Brother Seth, I can see that puzzling look on the face of that king. He's got a problem. Even though he is a king, he cannot break his own law. That law has been signed and sealed with the signet ring of the Medes and the Persians. And even though he's a king, he cannot break his own law. Oh, but you'll like this point. Who better than a woman to have plan B up her sleeve? And Esther says, I know. I know you can't break your own law. But you can write a new one. I know you can't break your testament. But you can write a new one. I know you can't break the death covenant, but you can make a new covenant that says we can live. And he said, write her out, girl, and I'll seal it with my ring. And oh, all of a sudden, I'm about to shout right here. In the darkest hour of their night, in the darkest hour of their night, a new testament was written. A new covenant was made. A new law was put in place. That old one said, on a certain day, at a certain time, you're dead. But the new one said, you can live, you can live, you live. You say, Brother Joe, what has that got to do with us? Well, that was an old law. That was an old covenant. That was an old testament. And it said, the soul that sinneth shall surely die. And if you die in your sins where I am, you cannot come. Oh, but in the darkest hour of man's history, 2,000 years ago, on a hill far away, on a hill called Calvary, a new testament was written. A new covenant was made. A new law was put in place. And it's for God's soul of the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believed in him should not perish but have everlasting life the new covenant says whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved you know what they did they did the strangest thing they made copies of that New Testament. They'd make copies of that new law. They'd made copies of that new covenant. And they got some men called postmen. And they put them on mules and donkeys with a copy of the New Testament and the new law and the new covenant. And they rode through the north and the south and the east and the west. And in that day, down all along the road at different intervals, there would be a wooden post. And they would attach to that wooden post the message from the king. That's how we get postmen, post message. That's your first postal service. They would take a, boy, when I read this, I like to knock the back end of my choir robe out. They would take a hammer and a nail they will take a hammer and a nail and nail the message of the king to the wooden post. Oh, that rider, he's on that little horse. He's on that mule. He's on that donkey. He's got in his hand the New Testament, the new covenant, the new law, the one of life, the one of life, the one of life. And he goes to a wooden beam and he takes a hammer and a nail and with a hammer and a nail he nails to the wooden beam a copy of the new covenant. Oh, aren't you glad 2,000 years ago God took a hammer and three rusty nails and nailed to a wooden cross grace and mercy and salvation. Aren't you glad the king has wrote a new law and we got a copy of it. Saddle up get with it and tell the world Jesus saves for such 
a time as this. You say, preacher, what difference can one person make? Well, read chapter 1 and verse 8 and compare that to chapter 8 and verse 27. Here's the difference. If that evil plan had a went through when the sun set that night in the palace, there'd have been funerals, weeping, crying, and broken families. But you know what it said in chapter 8? It said they had a festival. And they were singing. They were shouting. They were rejoicing. And it makes this statement in the King James. And man, it makes me want to climb a tree. And they had a good day. Man, when I read that, and they had a good day. And can I say anytime souls are saved, that's a good day. Anytime prayers are answered, that's a good day. Anytime the devil is defeated, it's a good day. Anytime a Christian steps up to the plate and fulfills their destiny, it's a good day. You say, you reckon there's any more good days of America? Well, if the media has their way about it, no. If the politicians have their way about it, no. But you and I can stand up for God, get a bunch of people to Jesus, and we can have us another good day for such a time as this. Let's get with it tonight. This is our moment. This is our destiny. This is our time for such a time as this. Thank God for her decision. Thank God for her destiny. But thank God for her delight. Let's have a good day tonight and sign up for God. Our Heavenly Father.